This is a Mortarbox Media Podcast. For more podcasts and to learn how we can help you create your own, visit mortarboxmedia.com. This episode of Madison Story Slam, as is every episode, is sponsored by Ale Asylum. This episode is also sponsored by Resolution Health Collaborative. Thanks, Ale Asylum and Resolution, for believing in what we do. Welcome once again to another episode of Madison Story Slam. Thanks for tuning in. If you could do me a favor right now, hit the subscribe button on your podcast app of choice, and then maybe go leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts, any, anywhere that you can leave us a rating and, re- and a review, it will help a ton. How have you guys been? Sorry that it's been a while. Uh, you know, life gets crazy and some things get put on the back burner, but I promise we are back. We're going to be doing episodes every week from here on out. So, uh, you know, as long as like life doesn't implode. Um, just so you know, our next Story Slam event is Saturday, September 15th. The theme is Transformation. We're going to be at the Wilmar Center, as always. Doors open at 6, stories start at 7. So if you want to come have a great time, hear some great stories, or maybe tell some great stories, you got to come to that. What else? Hey, we're doing a GoFundMe again because we're trying to bring Story Slam live to the internet. We're going to try to do some live video streaming of all of our events, but we need your help because to do it is going to cost a little bit of money. We need to get about $2,500. Right now, we're at $300 in a week, which is great. Uh, but if you want to help out, you can visit GoFundMe.com slash Live. Uh, and if you can't afford to help, I understand. Maybe you could share the GoFundMe link on your Facebook or on your Twitter or your Instagram, whatever you do. Or you could record a video and talk about what Madison Story Slam has meant to you. And we will share that and it'll help encourage people to be a part of what we're doing. Also, if you want to be a part of what we're doing more, more permanently, you can visit patreon.com slash madisonstoryslam and become a patron. On this episode, we are finally getting the last bit of our theme, Redemption. We did that in May of 2018, and so we've got stories from Ryan Hack, Mel Hammond, Seth Rabin, and Marty Sosnowski. They're great stories. This is going to be a great episode, so I'm sure you're looking forward to it, as am I. Um... That's going to be it for the intro. Just one more reminder, we're doing a GoFundMe because we want to take Madison Story Slam live to the internet. The link or the yeah, the link is gofundme.com/storyslamlive. You can help us build our community even more so that it's uh, available to more people and a wider audience. We really appreciate you guys. You know, I tell you every episode that I love you, and I mean it. I love this community. You hear me talk about it at the end of this episode during the Story Slam event. I talk about what Madison Story Slam has been for me. Okay, enough gushing about what I love about Madison Story Slam and all that. Up first, we've got Ryan. So without further ado, here's Ryan. All right. What's up, everybody? So I was born with a full beard. No? Not going? No, not again? Okay. I just wanted to see how many people were here last month. 
<laughs> so anyway, when I was in uh, when I was in school, I wasn't what you would call like a great student. Um, I had, I got good grades and I was like pretty smart, uh, but they. Uh, I was always told that I didn't apply myself as much as I could have uh, by basically every teacher I ever had. Um, and I, you know that thing where there's the kid in class who like talks all the time and then the teacher sends them into the hall until they can calm down and stop distracting their, their classmates. So that was me. Um, and I got so used to that that I started to kind of preempt the teacher and so I would be like talking to my friends and I would see that look in their eye and I'd be like, oh, oh, Miss Watson, I can't control myself right now. I can't keep my mouth shut and I'm distracting my classmates. And they're all just like, heck, are you serious right now? Like, please stop doing this. And I'm like, so I'm gonna go in the hall and I'm gonna just kind of calm down. And when I can come back, and appropriately interact with the class, <laughs> I'll do that. And she's just like, what the fuck ever? Like, okay, that's fine. Um, and so that would happen. Uh, and then one of my teachers actually made the mistake of telling me to go in the hall, and then he said that he didn't want to see me. And so I was like, all right, I'm leaving then. <laughs> so I just left and went to the park, and then I came back, and he's like, where did you go? I was like, well, I went to the park. You said you didn't want to see me. I figured if I stayed in the hall, odds are you could still see me. <laughs> and you very specifically said that you didn't want to see me, so I went. He was just like, like he clearly was caught into the semantics. It was like, okay, well, you, you can't do that. I understand I said it, but I, you know. so I'm like, all right. So that kind of gives you an idea of like, kind of a smart ass, right? Um, but then when I was a senior in high school, I was 18. And uh, at that time, there's a place north of here called Ho-Chunk Bingo and Casino. People are familiar with this place. Uh, at that time, you just had to be 18 to get in. And so sometimes, a couple of my friends and I would go to biology, and we wouldn't be feeling very biology-y, right? <laughs> and, and then suddenly, we all had appointments for the rest of the day. <laughs> so we had to go. And so the three of us would go up to Ho-Chunk and spend the afternoon there with a roll of nickels and play nickel slots, gambling our lives away, right? Because we're the coolest gambling with nickels. So that was a thing. So we go up there and, uh, and we're walking around and whatever and just having a good time. And then all of a sudden, there, I, I realize there's another person uh, that's close to me who also likes going to Ho-Chunk, and it's my grandpa. And he happens to be there when I'm there, and I see him, and I'm like, oh, cool, my grandpa. Oh, shoot. And then he saw me, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and so he's like, hey, Ryan, what are you doing here? Don't you have school? And I'm like, yeah which I probably should have said something else, right? But I was like, yeah. And then he goes, well, are you winning? And I was like, I wasn't expecting that question. And I really wasn't, but I wasn't losing, so I just said, well, I'm not, I'm not losing. And he goes, hmm, all right, well, I won't tell your dad then. And I was like, yeah! I was like, this is the best ever! And I'm like, my grandpa's awesome. So I go back to my stupid friends, and I'm like, you guys are just saw my grandpa. And he was like, don't you have school? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, are you winning? And I was like, well, I'm not losing. And he was like, cool, I won't tell your dad. And they're like, oh, your grandpa's the best. <laughs> and I was like, I know, right? It's awesome. 
And so that's, so this story I tell like randomly for the next 20 years, right? Over the next 20 years, this story comes up just randomly like, oh, hey, you guys wanna, you guys wanna know how else my grandpa is? <laughs> I'll tell you a little story about my grandpa. You know, so this come up, whatever. So my grandpa gets old, which is what happens when you're a human being. Uh, you get older. And so he, he was 93, and, uh, and he passed away, went through hospice, and I got to be there like the last day that he was kind of with it and still joking around, and he was amazing. Um, and so I wrote, this, I wrote this kind of tribute to him, right, this piece about his life and how amazing he was. He was a Purple Heart recipient, World War II hero, uh, was a cop, was a, worked for the Parks Department, like just did amazing stuff, affected people in amazing ways. Um, and so my family wants me to read this at his funeral. And he had 10 kids, so our family in and of itself was gigantic. Um, and then there's just, you know, there's hundreds of people there because he affected everybody in a positive way. So I'm reading this thing and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to tell the Ho-Chunk story because nobody knows this. Like, my family doesn't know this. My dad doesn't know this. It's time, right, to reveal what a horrible kid I was gambling $2 for an afternoon. So I tell the story, right? I'm just like, yeah, I saw Grandpa, and he said, are you supposed to be at school? I said, yeah, and he said, are you winning? And I said, I'm not losing, and he was like, I won't tell your dad. So everybody's cracking up, right? They're all like, oh, that's so great, that's so great. But I realize there's one person in the crowd who's not really laughing, and it's my dad, but he's not mad, okay? So I look at him, and he's doing that thing where he's like, like pulling on his collar and like looking around. So I'm in front of everyone and I just go, Dad, did he tell you? And my dad just looks up and goes, (laughs) just smiles and nods. And I'm like, what the, what what do I do now? Everything's ruined, my life is a lie. 20 years and grandpa's right there. I can't discuss this with him now. He's, he's dead, in case you didn't know that. Like, this is why we're here. And I'm just like, oh, this is terrible news. Like, and, and then I'm just like totally thrown off. Like, all right, well, he, you know, he was still a great guy, whatever, it's, it's fine. Um, and so like after the fact, I'm talking to my dad and, and, uh, and he goes, oh yeah, he told me that day. <laughs> and I was like, that day? So literally 20 years, it's been a lie. And I'm like, well, and I was like, well, why didn't you say anything? And he was like, well, I got kind of pissed. And then, and your grandpa was like, cool it, Calvin. Your kid's a good kid. So I just didn't say anything. And I was like, well, damn, I guess he is cool then. And I guess you're cool. I, I don't know. Everyone's cool, I guess. This is great, I, I, I think. And, uh, and so I, I, I love that story because it kind of took on a new life after death, right? Like it was one thing before my grandpa died, and it became something even better, um, to me at least, after he died. And then um, I actually lost uh, my dad, uh, took his life a year and a half later um, after my grandpa. And so this is like a three-generation story, right? Like my grandpa, my dad, and me, and it's just this dumb story. But it's something that really, um, that I I keep with me, um, and and I love. Um, And I I, I hope that you enjoy that too. And if you guys could just like keep it a secret. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. All right, thank you guys. Our next storyteller is super wonderful, and she's told many great stories here. She's on both 
She's featured on both of our best of CDs that are available for purchase. Please put your hands together for Melissa Hammond. After I finished grad school in Kansas, I had a couple weeks before I was going to move to Madison. And so my best friend and I went on a road trip across the country from Kansas um, through the national parks. Um, uh, we went to Rocky Mountain National Park, Zion National Park, Arches, Yosemite, um, Kings Canyon, and then we went to San Francisco. Um, so that, that whole trip uh, took about 11 days, and so uh, we didn't shower during that time. So after 11 days, we took a shower in San Francisco, and then we had a day to go around the city and eat all the food that we'd been craving for the past 11 days. So we go to the Giardelli place, and we both get a gigantic like $11 Sunday um, and eat that for lunch. Um, and we are going around to like the markets and like tasting things. And uh, we go to the Boudin Sourdough Bread Company, which is a really famous bakery in San Francisco. And they have these beautiful displays of bread, artisan bread. Um, they have like turtles and crocodiles and teddy bears all lined up in a in a window display, lobsters, um, like a bundle of wheat, um, any, anything you can think of, they can make that out of bread. So we're admiring all the breads. And um, I have a boyfriend back home that I want to bring back a souvenir for, and he's obsessed with sourdough bread. So I'm like, well, this would be a perfect place to get him something special. I would love to get him just a bread lobster. That would be awesome. But they're like lots and lots of money. So I'm looking for something a little cheaper. Another little problem is that we still have a whole another week before we're going to get back to Kansas. And the bread, they tell us, only lasts for four days. So uh, it's going to be hard to get a, a souvenir back there. But they have this really cool thing on their, their menu um, that says you can package up bread for a souvenir and ship it back home to wherever you are. And they can ship it in just a day or two and then um, it's there in time for it to still be good. So I'm browsing the prices. Um, I am not employed at this time and I just finished grad school so I want the absolute cheapest thing there is. So I'm looking at the menu, and most of them are pretty expensive, like 60 to $100 or so, and that's not going to happen. Um, but then there's one that's only $20. I'm like, dang, that is so cheap. Um, let's do that. It, it had two of the big round loaves and then three of the longer loaves. It was six pounds of bread, it said on there. Um, so I was like, yes, I will take that, please. So they start taking the bread and packaging it up, and they, the, the person behind the counter folds up this cardboard briefcase, puts the bread in there, shuts the briefcase, and then pushes it across the counter to me. And I'm thinking, mm, where's like the shipping label? Um, they take my money and then give me the bread. And I realize I have accidentally bought a briefcase of bread that I have to carry around San Francisco for the rest of the day. 
Um, I, I just bought the wrong thing from the menu and it was too late. So my best friend and I are walking around the city for the rest of the day and I am lugging behind me six pounds of bread in a cardboard briefcase and we go all over Fisherman's Wharf. Um, we are going to like a, a taco place downtown. Um, we go to the, the, the water and look at the water. And my shoulders are killing me. And I am just so angry at this briefcase of bread. And the worst part is we are not going to be home for another week. And the bread is going to be completely stale by the time we get back. So, uh, we are staying with my friend, so we give one of the breads to her as like a thank you for letting us stay with you gift. So that is one bread out of the briefcase. Um, and then we, are, we leave San Francisco and we road trip back to Kansas. Um, but we have a few stops along the way. And Sam and I, at, at each camping stop, have been eating um, almost exclusively black bean patties because we knew they wouldn't go bad in our like little shitty cooler with mostly melted ice. Usually they would get soggy inside the the packaging and so we would just like uh, put them in aluminum foil and then put that inside the fire and we'd have like black bean mush for dinner. So it was kind of nice to be able to like eat an entire loaf of bread for dinner. Um, <laughs> So, and like we really like we had to eat it. It was going bad. Um, so then we go to Mesa Verde, and we're staying with one of our friend's parents, and we give them a loaf of bread as well. By this time, it's been like three days, so it's still good. Um, and we like the we continue on our journey. We're heading home. We're just eating the bread as we drive. Um, and by the time we get back to Manhattan, Kansas, I give my boyfriend at the time this disgusting, hard, stale loaf of bread that we have left in my souvenir cardboard briefcase. So I am feeling kind of sad about it because I wanted to express how awesome this boudin bread factory was with like the lobster bread and the crocodile bread and, and the teddy bear bread in the window and it was all shiny with like the special stuff they put on the outside before they bake it. Um, and instead I have this gross crappy piece of bread. So on the very last day I'm in Manhattan, Kansas, um, my, my, the same friend and I go out to the prairie, our favorite prairie, for our last hike. And this is where the story gets a little weird. And I assume it was some sort of divine intervention. I still don't really know how to explain what happened next. We were hiking the prairie, and there, the, the path goes uh, down a little bank and then over a little bridge and then you get out to the main prairie. So as we were heading down to the bridge, I am looking down at the bank. There was supposedly a creek down below the bridge, but there was hardly ever any water in it. But I looked down at the bank, and I noticed something. It looks like a little animal. So I go down and investigate. It is a crocodile sourdough bread just like the one in the window at the Boudin sourdough bread factory in San Francisco. I'm like, Sam, 
are you seeing this? And she's like, yeah, that is a crocodile bread. <laughs> and I'm like, I tried to bring a briefcase of bread, regular round bread and regular long bread across the country, and it, it turned stale. And then we got here, and there was a pristine crocodile bread on the bank of this dried up creek. And she's like, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> and so I took a picture of it, and then it was on the ground, so I didn't want it. <laughs> and I thought about taking it, but also it was really hilarious to see a crocodile bread, and I wanted someone else to enjoy that, so we left the crocodile bread on the prairie and went home. And I don't know why, but um, it, it was there and it just filled me with some sort of joy or a sense of accomplishment. <laughs> and I told everyone about it and then I moved to Madison. <laughs> Thank you, Mel. I love the end of that story. And then I moved to Madison. <laughs> Resolution Health Collaborative is an established massage therapy clinic in downtown Madison, Wisconsin, specializing in custom massages. Their therapeutic approach is ideal for student athletes, traveling professionals, top performers, and anyone who needs their body and mind to be at peak condition. The therapist at Resolution will evaluate your muscle response and select the best technique for your tailored massage. Clients often experience relief from acute pain after one session and relief from chronic pain after three sessions. Packages for ongoing support are available at a discounted rate. You may remember that they used to be called Resolution Therapeutic Massage and they used to be at 433 West Washington. Well, they've changed their name and changed their location. They have a bigger space and they offer more for you to be relaxed and taken care of. Their name now, like I said, is Resolution Health Collaborative and you can find them at 345 West Washington Avenue in Madison, Wisconsin. That's 345 West Washington Avenue. Call 608-443-7048 to schedule your massage today and mention Madison Story Slam for a discount. Thanks, Resolution, for believing in what we do. Up next on the podcast, it's Seth Rabin. Our next storyteller has told only one story here at Story Slam before, but it was fantastic. And uh, he's a local comedian, so please put your hands together for Seth Rabin. I feel like I'm giving a press conference here with the way this microphone is set up. But, uh, um, all right, so uh, when you go away to college, especially at one like UW, you tend to lose all the limitations that you had when you were in high school, you know? You, when you were in high school, you, were, you only had a few options of food to eat. You had to go to PE. You, had a, you, know, you had like a structure to stay healthy. But when you go away to college, you don't have any of those limitations. You can eat whatever you want. You don't have to work out. You can just, you know, you can do whatever you want. And ultimately, that comes back to haunt you. And the people that, and people that have that gain what's called the freshman 15, which is where you gain 15 pounds. 
I gained the freshman 40. Now, here's what you should know about me. I've always been a hungry guy. Like, I love food. Like, my mom even said that when I came out of the womb, I was shaking because I was so hungry. Because clearly there was no McDonald's where I was at before. So, I, I did not take good care of myself. Whatever the cafeteria in the dormitory I was staying in offered, I ate. I never went to this, you know, the rec center. I just was not doing what I was supposed to do. And then ultimately when I finally did go to the rec center and I weighed myself, I saw how much I gained and I realized that's when, you know, I had to change everything. I had to get my life back on track. So fast forward three years later, I'm a senior in college. And at that point, I lost about 40 pounds. So that was really big for me. And I watched what I was eating. I took good care of myself. And because I was going to the rec center a lot, I saw a sign for uh, a 5K that was going on that weekend in honor of our veterans. So I thought, okay, that's a great opportunity to show you know, what I've accomplished, and I, I can do this. This will be great. So I go to the 5K. It's a beautiful Saturday morning. You know, it's breezy. It's a November day. Wonderful. And, you know, I'm getting my, you know, I'm stretching, you know, getting ready for the big day. And so we get to the, it's a pretty packed 5K. So we get to the starting line. And I don't know if this was because it was devoted to veterans or because this was at a university where it was military influenced. For those that don't know, I went to Western Illinois University, which is our nickname is the Leathernecks, and it's heavily influenced by military. But for some reason, instead of having you know the usual whistle or the starter's pistol, there was a cannon to start off. Start it off. So not only did it wake up you know everybody at the race. It woke up basically everybody on campus. So, all right, so the bomb goes off, the race is on, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm jogging, and I, I feel like I'm going at an okay pace. It, it was a rough start to it, though, because you had to go up on this huge incline road, but once I got over that, everything was fine. And I had, you know, I was listening to music while I was running, and things were going all right. And what's weird is that I didn't look, I didn't take my time running, but I didn't look at it as a race. But although, if, some, if I saw somebody going in front of me, they were not going to finish that race before me. So I'm going fast. Everything's going okay. And, you know, most of the race is going fine. And then we get to near the end of the race where my body is already starting to ache. My legs are really getting numb. And I see the finish line. Now, when I was in PE class you know, we had to run the mile. I don't know if you guys ever had to do that, but I I had to run the mile. And whenever I saw the finish line, I sprinted as hard as I could to it. So when I saw the finish line for this 5K, I just gave every ounce of muscle that I had to finish that race. And I finally did. I got across the finish line. Now, there's a picture someone took on Facebook. It's me crossing the finish line and I have this look of determination and just victory, like I just climbed Mount Everest. Right after that photo was taken, I just collapsed. Like I, my legs just couldn't take it. I was just exhausted. I just literally, literally I needed time to, you know, just over, because I, I did not take my time and I was just giving everything that I had, I just waited. And the time that I got for the 5K, pretty much said it all. Now, the 5K, for those who don't know, is like 3.1 miles. I ran it in 21 minutes and 59 seconds. And 
I'll tell you, that would not have been the time if I had just done it the right way. But I was just, I just wanted to do it, you know? And when I finally got up, I just felt like I just did something incredible, you know? I went from being 40 pounds heavier than I was going into college to, you know, basically being at my original weight and doing something athletically incredible. And also, when I left, you know, they gave every runner a medal like that said, hey, you participated in this, this 5K. Now, you hear a lot in the news lately about, you know, oh, if you don't win first place, you don't deserve a participation trophy. You don't deserve a participation medal. Fuck those guys. I deserved it. <laughs> but then I wish I could say that it's, you know, a happy ending and I, you know, there's nothing else to it. Well, after I graduated college, I basically did the whole process all over again, where you know I was living on my own. I was I had my own apartment. I had a car. I could go anywhere I want, you know. And I was I was stressed out. I didn't have you know a gym membership. I didn't have any of those things. And I just started eating all over again. And I gained even more weight than I did before. And now you know I'm starting to I'm starting to get in my journey back to my original weight. So you guys are just going to have to wait for the sequel. So thank you guys very much. Our next storyteller, I'll tell you, there's a lot of new people here tonight. I will tell you that our next storyteller, his first time here, he threw hot dogs from the stage. And on that occasion, my grandparents were here, and my grandfather was a pastor here in Madison for 40 years. And he and my grandma were here sitting at this table back where all you guys are, all you comedians. And uh, she was wearing a nice white sweater. And she had a glass of red wine in front of her. And Marty, whose nickname is The Meat Man, because he used to throw meat at bands who he saw perform, <laughs> came on stage and threw hot dogs into the crowd and hit the glass of red wine in front of my grandmother and spilled it all over her red sweater. Which is why we now have the rule that no meat is allowed to be thrown from the stage at Madison Story Slam. He's been gone for like four months from Story Slam and I'm so glad he's black, black? I'm so glad he's back. Please put your hands together for Marty, the meat man, Sosnowski. Hey everyone, I'm the meat man. And you know what? I've never puked on a pussy. But, 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 I had to think about it. I really did, and I'm really kind of surprised that I hadn't, but I'm pretty sure that I haven't, so I have that going for me. And you know, I love it when we have judges in the front row because, oh look, somebody dropped some money. Just in case it helps me out any. Listen, redemption, my whole fucking life is redemption. Lots of you who know me have heard my stories and what a punk I was in high school and I was just a juvenile delinquent. For those of you who don't know, I was a punk and a ju I mean, I was bad. As bad as you can be, I was bad. I just tormented my parents. I skipped my entire junior year of high school and didn't get caught till Easter break. So that's where, I, and lots of people have heard that story. And so this, that's, I'm gonna pick up at that, where that story leaves off. 
So I got caught at Easter break skipping the entire year. They made me go back to school. That didn't work out. So they, I end up in truancy court with my parents several times. Finally, they kicked me out of the public school system. By this time, it's the end of the school year. So we go back to truancy court, and the judge says, listen, you have two choices. He said, I'm going to give you the summer to find a school to go to, or you're going to Lincoln Hills. Those are your choices. And all of, most of you probably know about Lincoln Hills, and it wasn't any better in those days. It's a boys' reform school, terrible place to go. I had had two friends who had been there, and when they came back, they were worse than when they went. And luckily, my father knew this, so he didn't want me to go there. So he found me a Catholic school to go to that would accept me. Those fucking Catholics will take your money no matter what. <laughs> and so what a great experiment. Let's throw the oddball kid who gets in all this trouble into a Catholic school and let's see what happens. And as you can imagine, it didn't go very well. So I don't have all the time to tell you all those stories, but we get to the end of the year. And in those days, this was 1975. In those days, you could drink when you were 18. So by the time you got to the end of the school year, everyone was 18, all the, all the seniors. So you had senior beer parties, and it was accepted, and it was accepted by the schools because everyone was 18. You could all drink. So the Catholic school even had a beer party, senior beer party. And lucky for me, it was on the very last day of school. And because it was, they couldn't not let me go. Because they weren't, I wasn't graduating and they were banning me from the graduation, but they had to let me go to this. So, I went. And I went with the purpose of making sure that these fucking bastards in this school that I hated so bad were never going to forget me. And I was a pretty good drinker at this point. So away I go. And I partied my ass off. And I, I strictly went there with the purpose of just being as obnoxious as I could fucking possibly be. And so after, I get, after my friends get me loaded up on liquor, one of my great moments was as I'm standing on a chair. I believe that it was Nazareth, Hair of the Dog, playing on the... It was a brand new release, and I'm on the chair doing my best air guitar solo. Now you're messing with it, and I got a pee. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. And I stood right there and just pissed my pants. Now you're messing with a son of a bitch. And, you know, it was weird because as I looked out, then all these fucking people were just sitting there laughing at me. And I was, I was, I was kind of being what they wanted me to be, but I didn't care. I didn't fucking care. I didn't care about those. I hated these fucking people. So, after that, I immediately went up and punched the teacher, which, <laughs> to try to distract from the pee in my pants. So, that didn't work out too well either because I didn't really even hit him very hard because I was so drunk and the football team got a hold of me and over the fucking bank I went. And I, that was good because I got a little nap down there and rested and got my second win. So I come back to the senior beer party and as I'm walking up to the keg, I get up to the keg, I'm feeling, filling my pitcher of beer, which I really didn't need any more of, but I had my second win, I'm filling my pitcher. The valedictorian walks up behind me and she had actually been kind of nice to me. She really had. She had actually been kind of nice to me, but she represented everything I hated about that fucking school. And so I backed out of the way, and she started filling her thing, and she started telling me, 
me, man, I, you know, I hope that you kind of get it together someday and, you know, find out what, you know, whatever it is that you want out of life. And she was being really nice. And I just kept looking at her and I kept looking at my pitcher of beer and I just went, fuck you, bitch. And I poured my beer over her head. So that got me in more trouble with the football team. And then my next experience was, is I had a couple of football players with my arms, a couple of football players with my legs, and the fuckers threw me out into the fucking street with my bike and sat there and the whole fucking crowd said, don't you ever fucking come back here, you goddamn loser. You are fucking never going to amount to anything, they told me. You're just a fucking loser. And so there I lay in the street, drunk and, and you know, maybe I deserved it. But luckily there were some cops right by because I was going to go back. I was, and luckily there were some cops there, and they saw the commotion, they came and got me, took me home, and as we get home, it's dinner time, there's my parents sitting on the porch, and just another thing, and I can remember the cop telling them, you know, you better keep an eye on this kid, and they were just like, whatever. So, so for the next two and a half years, I did, tried very hard to make these people right. I became a, even a better drinker, ended up l with my life at the bottom of a whiskey bottle, just fucking totally wasted, wasting my life away, becoming exactly what they said I was going to become. And that party finally ended by finding my two roommates dead in the garage one day when they finally decided that their life wasn't worth living anymore. And so that party came to an end. And that's kind of where the redemption part of it started for me. And it took a long time. It didn't happen right away. It got worse for a while. But finally, I realized that the alcohol and the stuff wasn't going to... And I realized that I wasn't stupid. That, that it was just... It's just the way that it was. And I needed to dig down and find out what it was that was my passion in life and what I needed to follow. So to get to the redemption part of it, after this, I, I, I have too many stories in between there to tell you, but I finally got my shit together and went back to college. Got my degree, and I actually got my degree in photography and became a rock and roll photographer. And worked for 30 years in the business, had a great time. Now, here's the funny part about that, though, is right after that party, the next day was the graduation, and I'm sitting in the family room with my father, and I can still see him sitting there, and he's got the newspaper, and he puts the newspaper down and he looks at me and he goes, they got the names of the graduation in the paper. And I go, yeah. And he goes, I don't see your name. And he just put the paper back up. And I just sat there and went, like, okay. Well, I got through that anyway. At least he found out I wasn't graduating and it's, I'm not dying. He's not going to kill me. But he also said, he put the paper back down. And he said, son, he goes, what the fuck? He goes, do you think that you are going to spend the rest of your life smoking weed and listening to rock and roll and somebody's going to pay you for that. <laughs> and that actually became kind of significant. Because as my life went on, I, I actually got to do a lot of things and I got to hang out with Courtney Love. I got to hang out with Anita Sparks from L7. I got to hang out with Chet Atkins. Does anyone know who Chet Atkins is? I got to hang out with Chet Atkins, man, and I got my dad an autograph. Scotty Weiland from the Stone Temple Pilots, and one of my favorites was hanging out with David Bowie. So you know what? 
you know, that smoking weed and listening to the rock and roll thing worked out pretty good for me. And so it kind of goes to show you that if you really do follow your dreams, that redemption will happen. And you know, that's my redemption story, but I do have a couple more things I want to touch on. Every year, I usually do a story where I like to tell people about the things that I've learned at the Madison Story Slam. Because really, that's what storytelling should be about. It should be about learning stuff. And, and there's two things I want to talk about that I learned this year at the Madison Story Slam. And one of them is, if you want to fuck with a gardener, if you really want to fuck with somebody who loves gardening, walk up to him and tell him you got mint. <laughs> I don't really know why that is crazy, but Mel at the Garden Expo Story Slam mentioned that she had grown mint, and these people freaked out, man. They were like... They were like consoling her, like, girl, I'm sorry that you had to deal. And I'm like, what is with the fucking men's? It was the craziest thing. But the number two thing that I learned is, is that, Adam's right, I, I coached a hockey team this year and I had to be away from this for a long time. But I learned how much I really fucking miss this place. This place, three and a half fucking years ago, I walked through that door down there. And I was pretty lost. I really was. I was kind of searching for, you know, I, I was really lost. And I walked in here, and this storytelling has totally changed my life again and, and brought, me, brought me another form of redemption. And, and I, told, I told Adam's dad earlier this year at one of the first story slams, Big Dave, I told him, you know, I could see when Adam and Ash were probably a very young couple, first got married. And, I, and Adam's very religious, and I'm very not religious, but, but that doesn't matter. And, and I could see that, I, th I could have seen them planning a little church, you know, like getting their own congregation. I know, I really think that's what they wanted to do. But you know what? What they got going fucking right here is way better than anything. Because look at this. You have, you have me who, who's not a religious person. You have a religious person. I would have never walked into his church. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it. But I'm here. And that's what this is really all about. And let's thank him for what he's done. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Marty. I think Marty's goal every time <laughs> he's got a dollar on the floor. I think Marty's goal every time that he tells a story here is to make me cry. You deserve it, man. Um, it's funny that you bring up church, Marty, because in the last two months, I don't go to church. I am religious. I do believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I don't go to church because I think it's bullshit. And I, in the last two months, have said countless times that Story Slam is more church to me than church has ever been. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Hey, just so you know, I really do mean that. Uh, coming to Story Slam and being a part of it, uh, because I am a part of it. I'm not just the host. Um, it, it really has meant the world to me to um, be a part of this community, and it has been more church to me than church ever has been to me. So again, I thank you guys for wanting to be a part of it and helping 
build this community and being a part of the community and just loving people with me. I love you guys. Uh, if you want to play a bigger part in this community, what we could use right now is your help on our GoFundMe so that we can have a larger audience. We want to do live video streaming of our live events. And you can visit the GoFundMe page and uh, help us by donating or sharing the page with your Facebook friends, Twitter, Instagram, all that. The The link is GoFundMe.com slash story slam live and if you go there you can donate right now we're at three hundred dollars we need to raise about twenty five hundred dollars total so right now we need we're we're hoping for twenty two hundred dollars more we realize this one's going to be kind of slower than the last one we did and that's okay we're hoping by january that we will have the equipment we need that's it on this episode thanks for tuning in and as always i love you